And here we are again, Senor Lenjoie. Where in the world are you now? It's always an interesting part of the show, isn't it? I'm um, still in Germany. Yeah, <laughs> I know. Every, every, every week, somewhere I'm here for another couple of weeks. Uh, next week, we'll actually be doing it. I'll be in Paris um, or Lyon. So I'll be in France next week, but um, still in Germany this week. <laughs> Hard life. You can hear that the world's smallest violin. Um, now, funny you say Paris <laughs> or right, places. Right. It's funny you say Paris as yeah. this Saturday we have a very interesting card. So Bellator Paris, the first yes. MMA show in Paris. Not the first <laughs> MMA show, but the biggest, one of the biggest in the world going over to Paris. Yeah. And that's a huge sort of development for that's MMA as a whole. I mean, it's only got, was yeah, legalized was it this year? Or last year, what was it? Yeah, yeah, I think early this year. Absolutely incredible. Now, regards to the card itself, there's quite a few interesting matchups on this. So we've got Ross Houston and MVP. Now, for anyone who doesn't know Ross Houston, and I've said this on a few of the um, podcasts, you don't know what you don't know. It's, he's unreal. And if you watch his fight against Nicholas Dolby and Cage Warriors, mm. for anyone who thinks MMA is still brutal, barbaric, Oof. this, that, and the other... You know, I, if you watch that fight, I can't disagree. <laughs> <laughs> and um, no, no. I was there for that. Were you? I mean, <laughs> if I get stopped for blood, it's a bit of a question. Yeah, I was that case stuff. side. Oh, sorry, mate, a bit of delay. Yeah, we'll give a bit of space between the answers. But yeah, I mean, that in itself is an incredible matchup. I mean, for Ross, it's fun to get some sort of, I don't know, get a bigger platform to really get more of a, get his name out there. It's really awesome. But stylistically, it's an interesting one against MVP, so we'll see how that one pans out. Also in that card, we've got um, yeah. Ryan Scope. Now, Ryan Scope, he's an interesting mm-hmm. one in himself. So he fought Patricky, Fit- P- Patricky Pitbull, one of the many Pitbulls, many Patricky's. And this was a very controversial mm-hmm. loss, which wasn't really a loss in my world. He didn't think he lost that. So this is a, a catch weight of 160 pounds, which is a strange one. So I'd like to see how he sort of pans mm-hmm. out with this. And I feel he won that fight against Patricky. Patrice, his name is. Also at Mads Benel, another cage warrior superstar and also former UFC fighter. And it'd be an interesting one to see these guys yeah. in, in, um, in action. So regards of Bellator's just gone, we have one last week. Now, did you get a chance to catch this card at all? No, I didn't get a chance to catch this one, just the UFC from this week. So back in the world of European MMA, we have Bellator Milan. Now, we had in the card, the headline fight being James Gallagher against Cal Eleanor. Cal Pacino, one of the best nicknames in the game. I'm still number one. has got to be Adam Love, Dr. Proctor, but that's not the conversation. But, 100%. So, with Cal and James, I believe this fight is the third or fourth time I've tried to have this fight. That in itself brought a bit of controversy. But as well with Cal, there's one thing that really sort of, I don't know, it seems to be over, completely slept on. So, one of the times it got stopped, the before sorry, the event got cancelled was because Cal's brain scan came back and he was told he wasn't able to fight again just full stop so to have that kind of being told that kind of news then step, step back in the event I mean yeah. and that transition must have been unreal and also on this card we had a few interesting um, matchups so the whole conversation about grappling and how active you can be versus scoring so we had Charlie Ward against Andy Manzola now, Andy Manzola, phenomenal judo, phenomenal grappling. However, he spent most of the rounds on his back, albeit dangerous in the butterflies. Yes, he was doing the sort of percussive ear slaps, which were really cunning, but really effective. And again, a lot of that kind of stuff. 
However, if you're losing the fight, being on the bottom, it's almost like, I don't know, not quite floor as lava, but like you're back on the mat. It's, you know, every second you're down there, you're losing. So it's always a bit of a questionable one. And we also had the worst stoppage in MMA history, I think. Yeah, Keeper Crosby against Charlie Leary. Now, Charlie Leary, absolute savage. I believe he trains out of Watford. And he's unreal. He fought Tim mm. Wilde, amazing fight. Now, Keeper, he was taking a lot of damage. Almost got yep. stopped a few times. And when it comes to getting stopped for a cut, so this becomes a conversation a lot of the time. Where is a stoppable cut, for example? I, the rule of thumb, I feel, is if it leaks into the eye, obscures a vision and could potentially lead to a more devastating shot. Whereas this was a little nick under the eye and the doctor stopped yeah. it way before anything else, which in itself is like, as much as you want to say on the side of caution, you've got to feel a bit, he's a bit hard done by it at that point. It's a bit like, no, not fair stoppage, but yeah. credit to him, Charlie. He's very quick to say, you know, we're on it back straight away. We're on it back straight away. I want this fight. And it was an absolute war in the first round. I mean, the whole commentary was saying that, the whole first round is the is five minutes of promotion for the next one. An absolute war. So in, in your world there, so controversial stoppages like that, cool. is it worth getting second opinions this, that, and the other on the night itself? Is there something you feel can, yep. I don't know, add to this? Um, I mean, I, I'm kind of with you. I'm with you. Okay, so if a cut is above the eye, and the blood's coming into the eye, then, then yes, if it's obstructing your vision, then yeah, you've got to stop it. Um, but even for cuts that are above the eyebrow and above the eye, um, even if a bit of blood is coming into the vision, I'm still the sort of person that would let that go. Because with a little bit of Vaseline, it can sort of like defer away from the eye. Um, so it can sort of run around the outside of the eye rather than in the eye. The only time it's really going to go into the eye if it's above the eye is if you're flat on your back and it's kind of well in your eye. So again, it's, you know, the, you know, the, the mat is lava and you don't want to go on your back anyway. So it shouldn't be too much of a problem. The, the only time I sort of see the doctors sort of stopping a fight for a cut is when it's on the actual eyelid. So mm. on the eyelid here, you've got nothing actually stopping it from going directly into the eye. Like I say, above the eye, you've got the eyebrow. You've got like this sort of area, it can roll the inside, it can roll on the outside. But on the actual eyelid, that, that's when it becomes dangerous because it's, it's so close to the eye. Um, anything under the eye, unless your cheeks hanging off your face and you look like something out of Walking Dead zombie, then, you know, anything under the eye, I, I would seriously be letting it go. Um, I haven't seen it myself. Like I say, I've not seen caught up on the Bellasaur yet this week. Um, so I've not seen it myself, so I don't know how bad it is. But like you said, it's a little, little nick under the eye. Then, yeah, I'm guessing it's a pretty bad stoppage. I mean, even at the sort of amateur levels, you get a lot of early stoppages, even little cuts like that. It becomes a conversation. I mean, mm. I'm all for that's, erring on the side of caution. That. Okay, if it's going to be like, okay, it might lead to a devastating shot. It's unnecessary. But again, if you're, I mean, like, like you were saying as well, you're being a fighter's ref. You almost want to let them be able to die in there to an extent. Not obviously out of malice, but like, you know, give them a chance to give them everything they want to show. Because again, you're not training eight, 10 weeks on top of your tr overall training just for you know, a quick get out of jail free card. No, it's, yeah, <laughs> live and die by the sword, so to speak. So Bellator's quick summary. That was the sort of Milan highlights again. We had some interesting fights. Oh, so Sorry, go Sorry. You go. Sorry, mate. I, I also feel a little bit as well, as I know the doctor can obviously say, no, the cut's too bad, want to stop it. But being a good referee 
you have the final say. You know, even if the doctor says, you know, it's, it's over, obviously you're going to listen to the doctor normally in certain circumstances. But for something like this, where if you're a referee and you feel as though the doctor's made a bit of a, a bad decision with it being such a small cut and stuff like that, you could have, the, the referee in there could have let it go himself. Um, you know, it just depends on, on, on the situation. So. Well, that becomes another conversation itself. So if you're the ref, doctor says, I want to stop it. You disagree. Then the fight takes more damage and then has a problem with this site further down the line on your head beat a little bit. But again, it's always ifs and buts. It becomes an yeah. interesting conversation. It can always say, oh, but what if? And, you know, just get on with it a little bit. Yeah. I don't know. It's above my pay grade to an yeah. extent. That's why we were on a podcast chat and shit about it instead of you know, getting paid to make the decisions. <laughs> it's all well, well and good for the armchairs. We get comfy. Put the world to rights. Also on that car, we had a very slept on fight, which was Ashley Grimshaw against Andrew Fisher. Now, for people who don't know who these men are, I mean, if you don't know, you KMMA. So, Ash Grimshaw, Cage Warriors, absolute Bellator superstar, trains with Brad Pickett down in um, London. And you're Andrew Fisher, again, phenomenal career so far. Trains up north with, um, I think, he trains at TFT with like Perry Goodwin and them lot, and like, Cap- like yeah. Cal Eleanor. And again, they're just people who are like, you know. Just completely slept on that fight is a main event. That is a main event fight. I don't know why that hasn't been given anywhere near the amount of spotlight it needs. It deserved, and it turned out to be an absolute war as well, absolute back and forth. Um, with um Fisher coming on top. So if we take it back to the UFC. So again, we're going to very busy. So that was on the Saturday. So this is the Sunday night. So this is the home Abdana card. So do you want to take us with anything you want to take before we go into the prelims? Was there anything from the event itself you were expecting? Anything that sort of stood out to you? So it was quite a big event for the women's bantamweight division. Obviously, you've got two of the main fighters. You've got the number one, um, Jermaine, uh, Jermaine, Jermaine Demi, uh, and obviously Holly Holm as well. Um, both former champions, one in featherweight, one in bantamweight, uh, but both now obviously looking for that division and then you've got Amanda Nunes who has looked unstoppable in uh, in, in recent fights um, so it was quite a really big card for the, for the female bantamweight division um, and both fighters looked absolutely amazing we'll start with the um, Jermaine Jesus Christ GDR um, <laughs> I'll get it right in a minute um, awesome fight she looked absolutely great um, kept her, oh no, first, first round kept it standing Used her range, used her uh, excellent, you know, world-class Muay Thai um, against Juliana Pena, who we know is an, an amazing grappler. Um, second round, she managed to get the fight down. So coming into the third round, it was 1-1. It was kind of like a striker versus grappler sort of situation. Um, and then coming out to the third round, again, uh, Pena closed the distance really well. Um, sort of bobbing, using sort of like a Mike Tyson sort of style, sort of like bobbing, weaving, trying to get past them long limbs of... Um, uh, caught sort of like a, a body lock and sort of changed it. I think it was from a single to a double. Um, but as she did it, uh, Durandamy switched to an absolutely beautiful guillotine um, and ended up putting Peña to sleep. It was honestly, it was absolutely great, really, really nice. Uh, what I kind of called it was kind of like a power guillotine with like a high hand, but she was like sort of palm to palm. This sort of Oh, so, so what is it like? See? High elbow, uh, or is it underneath yeah, pushing up? Really, really fucking nice. Yeah, it was, it was kind of like a high elbow, but uh, but her hands were palm to palm. 
So with the high elbow, you you kind of in the oh. normal position and you roll your sort of elbow over the top. So everyone listening then, instead of your standard gable grip, it, it's like yeah, reverse, so both fingers down, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So she had the hand under and then she turned it that way and sort of was like squeezing, kind of like a, a rear naked, but from the guillotine position, sort of, yeah, like a palm-to-palm rear naked, but from the guillotine position. Um, it, was, it was really nice anyway, and she put Peña to sleep. Um, so she, she's then proving as well. She, she actually... Um, she tried to do a couple of submissions when she was on the back in the second round as well. So she's showing the evolution to a game. You know, she came in as just a, a pure Muay Thai fighter. And now she's showing the evolution where she's actually starting to learn submissions, especially off her back, because that's where most people want to put her with being such a good striker. Um, she's going to be one to watch, but she's going to be, she's already one to watch with the striking. And now she's putting the submissions into a game as well. And some of her takedown defense was really good as well. So it's going to be interesting to see her maybe evolve over another one or two fights. And then, you know, obviously gun for Nunes again. Um, with her last fight being such a, a wrestle-heavy sort of offense against her and me, it'd be quite interesting to see now she's got a few submissions in her arsenal, see where that goes. And then, you know, sticking with the Bantamweight women's division, going on to the main event, Holly Holm again, you know, she's 30, 38 or 39 years old. And, you know, she did not stop moving one bit the whole fight. She, you know, she looked like a 28-year-old in there rather than a 38-year-old. She's, she's still young in the game, even though people are talking about, you know, her age and, and, and whether she should retire or not. But she put on an absolute clinic of, of a, a, a dominant performance and won the decision over Aldana. Um, and then towards the end of the, the last round, the fifth round, she put, you know, she put some great combos together, really good head kick as well, and nearly fin- actually finished the fight, so... Awesome performance from the uh, the women's bantamweight division. Did you happen to see any of them two fights? I've seen like clips on like on Instagram and certainly I'm caught up with the whole main card yet. And again with um, Holly Holm, she's always one of these where the performance mm. she, she feels she holds her pace quite well, like throughout the rounds. Like she seems to set yeah. her pace quite well and keeps her doesn't seem to go backwards. Like against Misha, against Misha Tate again round of rounds again. But again, it's sort of that the pace sort of. Not stagnates. You sort of yeah, it keeps that same kind of momentum, such very consistent. It's sort of <laughs> horrible pressure. I'd hate to spot with that. Be an absolute nightmare. <laughs> now, if we go take a step I back definitely. to the prelims, there's a few interesting fights on this one. And now, something that really stood out to me, yeah. absolute underappreciated fight was um, I'm going to butcher this beyond all belief. Loma Luk Bunmi <laughs> against Jin Yufre. Yeah. So. I don't know how what Luma. She had a quite prominent Thai background, I believe, and Jin. Okay. I think she was quite a bit more well-rounded. Now, this for anyone who doesn't appreciate clinch work in MMA, this is the fight to watch. So again, if you're a Thai fighter, <laughs> if, you're, if you're if you're from Thailand, and you see someone with sort of the bigger shorts, what are you going to expect? You can expect you know the ooey, the big kicks, this that, and the other. But when you get the clinch, yeah. so you'd imagine the one-dimensional. Okay, you get the Thai plum. You think shoot under double unders, da, 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 da. you've got your t- takedowns, kill the space. No, it was a very nice adaption. So it's hard to explain it on the podcast, but let's play around. So obviously the clinch work, getting the tie plums, but also the sort of head and arm control, getting off center, distributing the weight. And again, it was really nice manipulation because ultimately what Jin sort of realized near the end of the rounds, which you can see the frustration on her face, that getting the takedown was a way to win that fight. Because getting the strike in, not much in it between the pair of them. But the clinch work was really winning it for Loom. 
So then to it was very good defensive clinch work. Not defensive. The clinch work was very offensive, but good for defending the takedown. Because again, breaking that posture, distorting the sort of pressure is very good for stuffing the takedowns. Because again, if you want a takedown, you need your posture in good alignment. Because the person you're taking down, you need to break their posture. Again, I feel like John Danher going overkill with this explanation, but that's yes. just, <laughs> it's a lot of, okay, it's not just having trying to pull the head down, trying to talk at a certain angles. So when you're throwing your strikes, again, you're getting completely off center. And it was just an absolute clinic of that. And <laughs> it's just so frustrating. It was absolutely wonderful like, performance from that side of things. And again, you get a few interesting fights in there. I mean, they're all much for much. I'll tell you this fight, Casey Kenny against Haley Alateng. Now, oh my God, Haley has got... Yeah. Fucking conditioning level is unreal. So, Southpaw Orthodox. What's, when I say Southpaw Orthodox, what's the first thing you think, other than like, you know, occasional groin kicks from inside and low kicks? What's the first thing you think? Fucking body kicks. Body kicks, body kicks, body kicks, uh, body kicks, body kicks. Body kicks. Yeah. Non stop, man. Haley had like welts on his fucking ribs from taking so many. You think, how is he not dead yet? And he was just fine. Again, just sort of like, you know, just. Shaking it off, rolling the shoulders, carrying as normal, thinking, fucking hell. Uh, it's not even a poker face. It's just not even phased. It's unreal. But regards to damage there. Now, what's interesting is Casey Kenny has now been confirmed to fight Nathaniel Wood. So that'd be a good one. Yeah, that'd be an absolute war between the two of them. Oh, okay. Um, uh, regards to the rest of the fight, rest, rest of the cards, I mean, Jordan Williams and um, I'm a, I can't butchering his name. Nasruddin Imavov. Imavov, something like that. <laughs> it was an interesting cut back and forth. Again, when you get someone quite physical, the wrestling of Imavov really sort of stood out. And other than that, I mean, the rest, yeah. of, the, the, rest of the card, the main highlights for me of this were the clinch work of Loma and the absolute conditioning of Haley. Um, okay. Obviously, I think you want to go through the Condit, Condit McGee fight. So talk us through that. You have got quite a bit of... Um, I don't know if yeah. that. So uh, the Condon McGee fight, um, awesome, awesome fight. Um, Carlos Condon was on a five-fight losing streak, I believe, before this fight. Um, so you know, and again, Condon's—he's one of them ones that's been around from like you know for years and years. Um, and you kind of think that he's kind of on his way out now and stuff like that. But he, he just looked absolutely phenomenal in this fight. He came out. Um, Nice and light on his toes. He actually came out Southpaw, um, which is quite interesting because normally he's an orthodox fighter, but he spent most of his fight in Southpaw for this one for, I don't know what reason, um, but he, he looked good. He looked good Southpaw. Um, and McGee is just, you know, he's just a hardworking, you know, tough MMA fighter, you know, from the Ultimate Fighter coming off of that from years ago. So both guys, you know, veterans in the game, um, they both have all the little tricks of the trade and stuff like that. And they just had a, had a really great technical stand-up fight. Um, no wrestling, uh, not much clinch work, um, but both really, really good. And then right at the end of the first round, um, Condor hit him with this absolute monster right hook and put McGee's nose like literally on his cheekbone, I think it was. That's how far across his face it was. It was absolutely ridiculous um, and really rocked McGee. But um, yeah. But um, he came back strong. Um, second, second round started, you know, found his feet again and, you know, just went all three rounds. Such a great, great fight. 
And um, Conduct looked like, he looked in glimpses of his old self. Um, so it's quite interesting to see where he goes from here. And he, and he finally got the win that he needed, you know, one win in the last six fights. Um, but, you know, I was listening to the, to the commentary as well, and Dan Hardy and people like that. And you've got to remember that Condon, you know, he's the next, you know, interim title champion, uh, like uh, title holder, uh, WC champion. Um, so, you know, he's always been in the big fights. And I think, you know, one or two more wins and he, he's back up there at the top with, it, with, the, with the guys in the division like Masvidal and people like that. Um, so it's going to be interesting to see if he can keep this rolling now. Now he's got the one win. Um, I also saw a little interview with uh, Dan Hardy afterwards, um, after the event had finished. And he was, you know, he's been mentioning little things and little snippets saying that, you know, he might be coming back out of the, the kind of semi-retirement that he's been in and he wouldn't mind having one or two more fights and stuff like that. And, and he mentioned Condon's name, you know, obviously that he's the only person that's ever knocked Dan Hardy out. Um, so I, I know he definitely wants to get that one back. But um, yeah, he mentioned that he, he wouldn't mind having Condon having the rematch. I could Maybe next year, you know, Condon versus Hardy number two. That'd be quite a cool fight. What do you think to that? So it's always interesting when you get these more experienced fighters. When I say experienced, I mean more the veterans, people you'd say, oh, I remember them kind of sort of fighters. It's good seeing them evolve and develop. Because when you hear five fight losing streak, you think alarm bells. You think, okay, he's going to start, you know, going on a bit of a Diego Sanchez-esque kind of turn of things and hopefully he's all right. However, when it comes back like that, trying something new, willing to learn still, it keeps the trajectory in the right place. So when it comes to the Dan Hardy um, potential rematch, I like that. So I like the way Dan's spent time, almost sounds like I'm talking to that person. It's like Dan spent um, his time away from the damage as such and kept his, sort of his foot in yep. the technical side of things. So again, always watching tape and sense of watching these fights, breaking them down. He's training himself. He's got his lessons of war with um, Jimmy Wallhead. And again, he's building this whole thing in itself. He's not... All he's done is, I think, kept his miles on the clock whilst building all the maintenance up. So again, he's not burning himself out. So if anything, if he was to come back, he'd be yeah. more conditioned and more, he'd be more developed without the wear and tear as such. I mean, that's from an outside perspective. I don't know him that closely. But as to say, it's very good to sort yeah. of see... I don't know how present in MMA he still is without having to take all the sort of you know you don't really see him that often with black eyes this that and the other he's you know <laughs> it'd be interesting to see who refs that fight I'd love Herb Dean to ref that and, he just, and if um, he gets knocked out again Herb just lets, <laughs> let, let, lets it go is that a principle <laughs> or stops it way too early <laughs> um, on that note of stopping things way too early have you heard um, Darren Till and Mike Perry the latest update Yeah, that's brilliant. I've uh, I've been watching bits and bobs on Instagram. Um, obviously, Mike Perry offering up, you know, anybody who wants to pay the highest amount of money um, uh, to be in his corner, and Darren Till saying he wants to give him five grand and stuff. Have you have you seen the uh, the porn star Kendra Lust mm. has offered six thousand for her and Darren Till to be in the corner, and then um, on a on a tweet, his girlfriend Mike Perry's girlfriend was like, "No, absolutely not." <laughs> So, it's a funny little note with Kendra Lust. She's got an MMA podcast with um, an MMA fighter. I can't think of his name is. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah fun fact there. Um, on top of that, so all the memes, you've seen Darren Till's, um, he made another Instagram 
So, because Mike Perry kept blocking him, he made another one. I'm going to find it now whilst I've got my thing open. I believe it's Darren in Perry's corner. Yeah, Darren in Perry's corner. Corner of Perry. Darren in Perry's corner. 4,000 followers, not following anyone. Just memes. And it's just, it's one of those ones. You've got to love him. He's the king of Instagram. And he was saying that as soon as um, the fight starts, he's going to throw in the towel with that and the other. The raw dog is going, all this kind of stuff. You've got to think. It's one of those things. I don't want that fight to ever happen. I want it just to keep on getting pushed back, becomes a thing. Because once it's over and done with, then that kind of gone. The, no, the, the suspense is not suspense. Yeah. The novelty is what makes it what it is. I think it's wonderful. But on the topic of people talking absolute shit to each other online, <laughs> we need to move up to um, another weight division. So we have good old Johnny Bones and Izzy. Oh, yeah. Talk me through what you think is going on with that situation. Yes. So obviously I've seen, you know, everybody else has seen all these tweets and back and forth and, uh, and pictures of Izzy being knocked out in his, his kickboxing career and John being, you know, with his mugshot from when he's been arrested and stuff like that. So, um, but as far as, you know, that, that stuff's absolutely hilarious. I love it. You know, exactly what we're talking about with Mike Perry, Darren Tilfey, stuff like that is absolutely gold. You know, it's, it's, it's comedy, comedy gold. Um, it's brilliant. But when it comes to John Jones and Israel Asanya, um, yes, they're starting to get a little bit personal, but, you know, that's just the way it is nowadays. Um, but as far as fighting, man, I want to see this fight. Um, I don't know about you, but I really want to see it. And, and you know, I've been, you know, a few people have been, I've been listening to um, DC talk about it, podcasts and stuff like that. And now's the time to make that fight. You know, if you wait until when Izzy said he wanted to do the fight, it was in 2021, and he wanted it at uh, um, the fight week, you know, the, the big fight week they do in Vegas, um, which obviously is normally one of the biggest cards of the year. So, yes, that would be an, an amazing um, main event for that. But the way it is now with the tweets, um, I think now's the time to make that fight. And, and you know, it's, it's a tough one. It, Izzy's on a fire, obviously, at the minute. John Jones hasn't looked as dominant as he used to in his last couple of fights. So it's, you know, you know the, young, the young blood of Izzy, you know, absolutely on fire, knocking people out. Uh, people that they thought that he couldn't knock out, he's knocking them out, making them look absolutely amateur. And then obviously John Jones <clears throat> being, you know, the GOAT, as some people call him, but also looking very vulnerable in his last few fights, especially against Reyes. Um, it's going to be an interesting fight. How, how would you see that going? So there's a lot win this. So if you take the Izzy and um, Anderson Silva kind of fight, so again, it was legend, absolutely respected. And oh. a lot with that fight, what happened was, because there was too much respect, not a lot happened. However, with the malice and everything else going into this, it'd be a very different fight. Whereas if you were to take Anderson Silva and take away the respect there, it's interesting how that fight would have gone. So, so there's a few things with this in itself. Mm. So, regards of their animosity, I'll put that in inverted commas because again, you never know how much is when they're getting paid. You got to sort of caveat a lot of stuff. Um, yeah, that's true. When if they were to fight, how would they do it? So again, is he the middleweight? John Jones, light heavyweight, now moved up to heavyweight. Would they do it catch weight? Would they do it as a BMF? Would John have to beat Jan Bohovic and then do a 205 belt to be champ champ? And again, these sort of conversations are where the things really have to happen. Exhibition bout, what weight would it be? 
Because again, if John Jones is walking around a heavyweight, again, if, he get, if he's getting close to that 260 limit, and Adesanya's walking around probably about 200 or something, maybe a bit more, like, big yeah, He's not a big the weight. This is it. So, as much as Jones is looking, I don't know, the, the tricky thing with a lot of this, when people start progressing, you say this in the gym a lot, if you're training with someone who you normally can beat, when they start getting better, it doesn't mean you're getting worse. But by comparison, mm-hmm. it makes you look worse as such. Because, okay, you're not smashing them the same way you can. But, again, getting caught by Reyes when he did. I mean, it's MMA math. John beat, um, well, beat, yeah. beat um, Reyes. But then Reyes got stopped by um, Blahovic. And what's to say John would get stopped by Blahovic as well? And, again, it's just one of those sort of conversations that MMA That's math true. And with Adesanya, he's he's a funny one. He's being a white belt and this that and the other when it comes to the whole Paulo Costa situation and Hesbeck and all this kind of stuff. And about how um his everyone his pure critique he gets at the time is oh mm-hmm. why people just want to take him down like it's easy you know, this takedown offense. But again, John Jones was the first one and only one to take down DC. I think he be taken down as well, but he took down DC like it was nothing a few times. So, it becomes an interesting conversation, especially with that weight advantage. And again, yeah. the skill. I think, from a fan point of view, I would like a trilogy of three fives. Oh, sorry, three five fives. Yeah, just constant, just non-stop rounds after rounds. I don't know. I'd imagine Jones would stop him. And if Jones stops Izzy, it kind of derails the hype train a little bit, and it kind of kills a little bit. Whereas if it's back and forth and there's more controversy, it's the same kind of thing. If it loses the bad blood, yeah, it just kind of I don't know, takes fun out of it a little bit. <laughs> what do you think? How how do you think it would go if Izzy stopped Jones? Hmm. So interesting concept in itself. The only person to beat John Jones is the goat Matt Hamill. So other than that, he joins him in goat status for uh, <laughs> finishing the goat. But it became, becomes an interesting conversation then. Because then what happens with Izzy's mm. career? Does he go from the sunset? Does he do novelty boxing matches against retired boxers? Does he just try and make money? Does he just continue being the poster boy? But regards to Jones and his stock, so again... It's almost a bit lose-lose. It's like the whole idea of GSP coming back to fight Khabib. It's a bit like, okay, you went off in the sunset. You've had your glory yeah. days. You've had your respect. And then you don't want to be Pennant and come back and just get murdered. And lose a lot of your legacy. And legacy in itself is mm. whatever, but another conversation. Personally, I feel it's not... For Jones, it's lose-lose. But mm. again, it depends on what, where his sort of head is. Because if he wants to move up to heavyweight and make a scene there... Doesn't make any sense for him to go down to fight middleweight. And if he can't hang, if he gets chopped by middleweight, he loses a lot of stock at heavyweight. No. You know what I mean? Because two weight divisions is different. Yeah. Yeah. Views on that. It's it's a it's a real tough one. Um, yeah, it's it's a real tough one. It's like you said, it's it's kind of a lose lose for both because if Izzy gets beat. He's lost that O. And that's the thing that's making him so special at the minute, 
is the fact that he's what 19 and 0, I think it is now in MMA, and you know he's 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 cleared out. You know, although he's been champion, you know he's he's only just been champion. He's only defended it. Uh, he's only had the belt back for a couple of fights, but he's already cleared out seven of the top 15 fighters in that division before he had the belt, and now he's started to clear it out a little bit more himself. Um, and he said he wants to stay at middleweight. So he doesn't want to put the extra weight on to go up to 205. Not yet anyway, maybe in the future. Um, John Jones, on the other hand, like he said, you know, he's now said that he wants to be a heavyweight, but he's going to have to come back down to 205. So it depends on how, how much weight he's put on for heavyweight and how he's going to then lose it to go down back to 205. Um, so that's going to be an interesting situation as well. Because, I mean, the fight's going to have to happen at 205. John Jones can't go below that, you know. And, he, you know, he can't make a catch weight in between the two because John Jones, you know, he's, he's a big 205 as it is. So he's not going to make, be able to make, you know, 195 if he, if he could. Or he's not going to be, he's definitely going to make two, uh, 185. Otherwise, he would have, you know, maybe gone down to 185 earlier in his career. So he's going to be... Yeah, it's going, it's going to be a, it's going to be a, a two hundred five fight. Um, so again, like you say, you know, John Jones is known as he's only been beat by Matt Hamill, and we all know how and why that happened. The real guy, really a loss. But so it's, you know, they're both um, they both <laughs> they both unbeaten fighters, and 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 the way their their stock is in their own divisions or their now new divisions of John Jones being a heavyweight. Yeah, it's kind of a lose-lose group for both. But as far as a fan fan point of view, the build-up for this fight, you know, the build-up that's already happening and the fight's not even sort of like scheduled or even really thought about properly. It's just people saying that they want it to happen, you know, would be absolutely amazing. And the fight itself, I can see it being an absolute awesome fight. And like you say, John Jones has got the wrestling to fall back on. Would you say this was going to be a more of a John Jones grappling style of attack? rather than wanting to stand with Izzy? Or do you think he's going to do what he's done for a lot of his like, heavyweight career, and that is go to where his opponents are best and try and beat them at their own game? So this becomes quite a lot of layers to this question. So if you take John Jones's weight, the way it's changing. So again, being in 205, being him at his lightest to an extent, he's quite flamboyant. He's got these sort of flashy strikes, the spinning elbows, the flying knees, the sat and the other. When he's going up a weight, you'd imagine the style would have, would have adapted to such. Not necessarily the same kind of pace, not necessarily the same level of combinations. Again, might be more power focused. Depends on how he wants to do it. And then it depends on how he wants to address the situation. So yeah. if you want to get in a striking match with Izzy, it then becomes, I don't know. It depends on how he wants to strike with him. Because the way you're, you wouldn't want to beat him just straight kickboxing. You'd have to be unorthodox. You'd have to be offbeat because again what you'll find with a lot of traditional martial artists is it's very like you know it's in a tempo whereas the MMA the, the beauty of how it works quite a lot of the time against yeah. these different styles is being that offbeat again you're used to you know your jab cross da, 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 move your head this that and the other step step but then if you're a little bit okay you, by the time you're throwing your even before you've even finished loading up your cross I've already shot and I've gone off an angle you're then having to readjust and always kind of little cues, even like the um, oblique kicks this out and the other. It depends on how he wants to apply that. Because again, with Greg Jackson's kind of game planning, it'd be interesting to see how you do it. Because I wouldn't be surprised if he was trying to use his wrestling to put off the striking. 
because like we well, see a lot of fighters where like you see it with um light division and cage warriors luke shanks and sanford sanfordeen it wasn't until luke started imposing his wrestling that his striking really started coming off because mm. again once you start respecting the wrestling the striking just gets that extra sort yeah. of level on top of it because you're not even just not in the main priority so it depends it depends yeah. on how he wants to do it because as well when it comes to izzy like fighting um costa fighting your this that and the other like counter strikers people who aren't going to push the pace as such not going to be as aggressive and wait for something so for jones to not give him that respect and put, put, put it back on him it'd be interesting to see that kind of game plan and just to say as well regardless of the weight because 205 yeah. it makes you wonder how big jones is what the cut's going to do to him because it can't help but feel it might be affecting the performances in itself and if he's cleaning up and you know he's going to church on sundays instead of you know getting at the bar still hitting pregnant women's cars and you know it's that and the other he's, he's you know <laughs> depends on how he's changed because <laughs> he's maturing and developing or whatever else he's doing nice. interesting conversation like, how yeah. can you see this fight panning out if it were to actually fight um, again it depends on what Jones turns up you know is he still partying or is he in church is he putting the time in the gym or is he out pretending that he's, you know, the, the, the new saved, you know. Born again. Born again by his Jones. Uh, you know what kind of, you know John's going to turn up. Uh, yeah, that's it. So, it's their best game. I see it very tough night for D. Yes, you can start setting traps for John that John's not seen. You know, Izzy is a very diverse striker and is very, even himself is very unusual the way he's down, very long. Again, he's very long for the weight division he's in now, but I don't know how he matches up with John Jones. We all know John Jones has got the longest, you know, arm reach advantage. Izzy fight against somebody who's actually going to have a recent advantage over him as well. He's, I mean, we could spend, you know, the next two hours just talking about this one fight. Um, I, I would like, me personally right now, I'd like Izzy to win. Um, I, I'm a big fan of Izzy's. I've, I've liked him ever since the glory days. Um, my friend Carl, Carl Bomberbooth, he's the one that got me watching um, Izzy absolutely years ago before he even started MMA, I think it was, um, when he was still just you know, a kickboxer. And Carl... Cole liked his style and he's very sort of similar to that sort of style in striking, um, being quite long for a welterweight. And he, he, he used to watch a lot of tapes of Izzy. So I've been watching him for years and I really like Izzy. So me personally, um, I think he could catch John. I think he set traps for him definitely, but it all depends on what John, what John comes into the fight and, and, and how much he can actually wrestle him and use that size advantage. I'll have to wait and see and see what gets confirmed with this. Now, we've had um, an interesting question on the Instagram. Let me... Um, yeah. The Instagram, how old am I? Uh, <laughs> let's have a quick look. Make sure I get verbatim. So, let's have a look here. What we've got... Slowed up now with my absolute Tesco's internet. There we are. Essentially, <laughs> we have... Oh, it's just gone. So, Leon Edwards. Is the fight with Wonderboy a good fight for him? Why wouldn't he accept it? And views on that so before we get into this the initial argument leon's made is that 
Wonder Boy is beneath him in the ranks. Which, on paper, you think, yeah, that makes sense. Why would you fight someone beneath okay. you? However, <laughs> if you fight someone above your rank, they then have to make that same decision. <laughs> so, this is a stupid argument. So, my question to you with this is one hierarchy, hierarchical matchmaking. How far down can you go or how far up can you ask for? Do you think it's reasonable from that in itself? Yeah, it's a tough one. It depends on, again, right, Leon Edwards, we all know he wants a title fight, okay? And at the moment, he's all he's calling out is people that are above him, okay? Um, let me just see if I can quickly get up the rankings. Or have you got the rankings in front of you? I will do in just a moment. That's to say, it's an interesting one. So stylistically, I mean, the tricky thing if you train for someone like Wonderboy, we have this conversation when it comes to matchmaking as a whole and like game planning. And that <laughs> if someone pulls out last minute, you've then wasted your, not wasted, you spent your whole camp preparing for a specific style. If it's not a malleable style, but you can sort of adapt it to other ones, it then becomes, okay, yeah. it's not the end of the world. Whereas if you're there fucking doing your point, doing your point fighting karate sort of offense or this, that, and the other, and then like, I don't know, you're Romero, someone steps in last minute, you think, okay, now we'll fight. Then you wonder why you're fighting a middleweight burst on the conversation. <laughs> but, um, yeah. So been interesting. Okay. Well, wait. Sorry. I'm sorted. I've got the rankings here. Okay, cool. So Leon, I believe he's so on the So we have Kamar Usman, champion, obviously. Yeah, Leon's number no number three. I've I've got Leon down as number three in the rankings. Okay, cool. So um, got... Usman champion, Colby Covington one. He's number two. Uh, we have Gilbert Burns as number two, Leon Edwards as number three, George Masvidal number four, and then Stephen Thompson as number five. See, I think that's still so a sensible fight for... Um, with these yeah. rankings... Um. Yeah, yeah, I'm literally just about to say the same as what you just said. With these rankings, number three fighting number five isn't a big jump. You know, Leon's, it sounds like Leon's saying it, and, and you know, and Stephen Thompson's like number 10 and he's number three. <clears throat> That's quite a big drop, you know, fine, sort of down to 10, maybe 11, something like that. That would be quite a big drop down. Um, it's kind of a, a sort of lose-lose fight for him because he should be beating, you know, the people that are at 10 and 11. And if he does lose, then obviously he's been beat by somebody who's quite a bit further down the rankings. Whereas, you know, anybody in the top five to fight anybody else in the top five, they're all so close together. And especially in that welterweight division, I really think it's one of the divisions um, where I think, you know, anybody can beat anybody on any day. Um, so number three fighting number five is, is perfectly fine. I would, I would say to Leon, he's kind of like, he, he's trying to not take this fight because he wants the people above him to get into that title fight. But I think fighting Stephen Thompson does get him towards that title fight. You know, Stephen Thompson's fought for the belt two times now, I think, maybe even three. Mm. Uh, and had some good fights as well. So, you know, beating somebody back like, like Stephen Thompson, who is a title challenger, who, who, you know, who is and was um, 
you know, good enough to be the champion. Um, being somebody like that, it's a definite, you know, push forward towards that title. And, then, and, and while the rest of the people are sort of like taken up with, you know, how they're going to sort the title fight out and who's going to fight next for it, um, with Gilbert Burns and then obviously Cobb Covington and George Masvidal being looked at as, a, as another fight. You know, everybody around him is already taken up. Stephen Thompson is the only one free. So if he's saying what he's saying and nobody wants to fight me, and then Stephen Thompson saying, I'm here, I'll fight you, then why isn't he taking this fight? So, again, it's just a stupid thing in himself. This is what makes him unmarketable. Because when people say, you know, I'll fight anyone, you kind of have to mean it. It kind of gives you that extra bit of, okay, and you can't turn down the first person in the top five still. (coughs) Again, if he's out in the top 10 or whatever, then you think, okay, it's just not really relevant. But no, again, he's obviously... um, what probably won't be as exciting as um, Woodley and um, Wonder Boy was, but here we are. We'll see what we see with that one. Um, but it kind of yeah. gets tricky. So if you take George and Colby, like those two would be amazing fight. Like the top four, any of those mixed them out would be interesting yeah. matchups. And then Wonder Boy, again, he's a bit of a. Yeah. He's not, how do I explain? Almost like a gatekeeper for the welterweight division, I feel. Again, he's not so much in the conversation for the next champ or next like potential whatever else. But yeah, I feel like he's a gatekeeper for like that title sort of contention. So like Darren Till was a prime example. When Darren Till beat um Cowboy, you think okay, beating a sizable name, good name on the record. Yeah. Okay, you don't know who he is still, but you know he's getting more of his name out here. But once he fought Wonder Boy, that gave him so much more stock. I feel it yes. gave him a lot more. Showed his fight IQ, showed his development, but also gave him that credential. I think from there onwards, he fought Woodley. So if nothing else, that should be Leon's reference point for, okay, if I even follow the Darren Till blueprint here, I fought an experienced veteran in Cowboy. So yeah, he's fought Gunny. He then fights, he's fought these people anyway, but then fighting Wonderboy is a perfect opportunity to then show, okay, I can then adapt my style, beat someone. Again, if he doesn't respect him with that and the other, Go against him because as much as Wonder Boy is being respectful, be the heel. Just call him a name or something. Be a bit of a knob, like steer into it. But yeah. if you don't like him, make a, make him a point. He's not yeah. on your level. This that and the other, and then run with it. But instead, just like no, fuck off, leave me alone. Like, that's just not even. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. It's just a bit of a weapon. Like I'd like to see a lot more from um, Leon. I think mm. I don't know. As much as he's not marketable and he's hard to promote. He is a champion. He is champion quality. He's just not given himself a platform. Yeah. And this is a prime example of just not making the most of the opportunities there. Like, everyone's argument with this is, if he keeps winning, yeah. no, there's no denying it. And he's, if he's beating guys in the top five, I mean, what more do you want at that point? So, I think... I think it needs to this fight. And like you said, you know, using the blueprint of Darren Till, you know, Wonderboy, you know, I hate calling people gatekeepers, especially people like Wonderboy as well, because, you know, when Wonderboy turns up, he can still beat every single one in that top five. So, you know, he is still championship material. And for Leon to beat him, then it shows. And exactly like you said, it's like Leon saying, well, I'm not fighting him because he's below me in the rankings. So then go into the fight and prove that he's below you in the rankings for a reason. Go in there, how much better you are, and show that you are ready for a title fight. 
that's the way you should be looking at this fight. Rather than thinking, oh, he's below me in the rankings, you should be okay, he's below me in the rankings. I'm so much better, I will prove I'm so much better. And then that's, that's the way he gets the title fight. That's the way I think he should, should go with this anyway. And, and turning down fights, when, when he's turned around and said, nobody wants to fight me, but now he doesn't want to fight anybody as well. It's just, it's going gonna, it's gonna to lessen his stock. He needs to start taking fights and start having a bit of a personality and a bit of an attitude to... to, to Oh, sorry, the internet cut out there a little bit. As to say, the whole um, concept of turning down fights when you claim, uh, claim no one um, wants to fight is the equivalent of like a girl saying, oh, no, no guys chat to me, and then she's ignoring all the DMs. It's one of those ones. <laughs> Again, it's a, not the most um, yeah. relevant analogy, but here we are. If people can relate, sadly enough, you know, F in the chat for the fallen homies, it's all good. Um, well, now, Senor Lenjoie. I can't really hear you too well because signal's cutting out. But before I let you shoot off, next weekend, well, this weekend, for example, we have Marias and Sanhagen. There are some absolute wars in this card. So where do we begin? Yes. So again, we covered Thomas Benoit. And again, I'm going to go on about him again and again and again. The next biggest thing in the heavyweight division. Yep. The speed, the mindset, everything. No, educated. Can't wait to see yep. him get stuck in again. But... The, one of the most exciting yes. fights on this card, Edson Barbosa against Maquan Amirkani. I mean, what is that fight? It's incredible. So, off the bat, Amirkani as a surname is just. I, I, I think that's incredible. I think that, that in itself is wonderful. I remember seeing at UFC London, <laughs> and I don't know, it's a very educated yeah. performance. And Barbosa at featherweight just looks phenomenal. Like you see, he's yeah. finishing against Terry Etim, and. I feel for Terry. Every time I see it, I think, oh, I don't know how many years ago that was, but he must get sick of seeing that all the time. Played knockout in UFC history. It's like your worst nightmare. I think, okay, that's your first fight. What's the worst that can happen? Oh, I can get knocked up by um, Edson Barbosa and everyone can watch it for the last next 20 years or whatever it is. <laughs> for 10, 15 years. Just constant, okay. <laughs> I think, okay, I don't know. <laughs> That's why I quite don't no, mind losing like a sports hall in the middle of nowhere. I'd rather do that than, you know, catch in by it's my Bosa, but here we are. <laughs> Each <thing. coughs> Yeah, definitely. Phenomenal fights. Any initial yeah. predictions? Anything to look out for on this card itself? Um, yeah, well, apart from the two you, you've said, Tom Aspinall and um, obviously the S and Barbosa. Um, Americani fight, you know, both of them stand out massively. Um, I'm interested to see what Tom does. Um, since our last conversation when he when he fought, and I'd not, I didn't really know who he was. I've then gone back and watched some of his previous sort of cage warrior fights, so I've kind of got up to speed on him. And I'm I'm I'm, I'm on the uh, the the As Tom Aspinall train, same as you now, mate. I'm a big fan, and I do think he's gonna he's gonna be a massive impact in the heavyweight division in his next couple of fights. Um, and then, yeah, Edwin Barbosa. I mean, I love watching this guy. Um, he's got the meanest leg kicks in the whole UFC history, I think. Like, the get to this guy is so fast. That switch kick is literally what I used to train myself to do. Like, the way he does it, that switch quick to the left is absolutely beautiful. And, and it's going to be a great fight because Marikani is a, again, is, is a great fighter and a very, very good grappler. 
Um, Ezan Barbosa being the striker, Americani being the grappler. So it, it gives it a good dynamic and, and let's see where this fight happens. And, and Bob, Barbosa looks amazing in his featherweight um, debut. And I think personally, I think he got robbed on the uh, decision as well. And then we've also got Big Ben. I love Big Ben Rockwell. You know, he, the guy, you know, he looks mean as hell, but he doesn't look like a fighter and his style is herky-jerky. And, you know, I, I, just, I just love Big Ben. He's, he's always good for a good fight. And, and you know, it's going to be a good fight with him and Tabura. Uh, and then the main event, you know, you've got Marais versus Sam Hagen, um, two of the top. I, I, I believe they're both in the top five in the, in the weight division. Um, and they'll both be looking after this fight you know, to, to look for a, for a title fight after this. So they'll be, they'll be definitely putting on a show. And I think the one against Aldo, um, that he won, but did he win? Hmm. Mm. Um, and it'll be a, a really, really good fight. So some, some great fights on this card. And on the prelims, we've got Tom Breeze. And again, someone's going to get slept on, but it's just so underappreciated. It's Impa Kasanganai. So for anyone who hasn't seen his fight against Maki Pitolo, oh my God. Yeah. Absolutely incredible. Again, those two, both of um, them, Dana White Contender Series bets. It was absolute chaos. Absolutely wonderful fight. Yep. And again, it's such a sound guy as well. Again, interesting card right. itself. Now, before we shoot off, here's mm-hmm. a question I've got for you. So... When you're sparring with someone new in the gym, someone brand new, how hard should you go? Now, this is MMA, this is jiu-jitsu, this is whatever. So when it comes to these beginners, you'll get this, this whole spectrum. Some people need that nurturing. Some people need the sort of, you know, jiu-jitsu. They need to get the sort of, you know, the, the tough love as such. And the example I've heard from this was, um, you, have you ever had it where you roll with someone? Think, okay, I'll give them position. Let's play around. And after they start celebrating that they didn't get subbed and they won, it's a bit like, okay, now what? <laughs> they don't want to be that guy. Like, where do you sit on the yeah. thumb or rolling with someone brand new? Um, I tend to take it as the round's going. So when I'm rolling with somebody new and I know they're like a beginner level, or even if it's somebody new that I haven't rolled with before, even if I know they're at a slightly better level, uh, where, where it be jiu-jitsu, boxing, you know, MMA or whatever, I always tend to let them have the first couple of minutes of the round just because I'm always, I, I kind of use that as a, as a gauge to, to see where I can go and how hard I can push after that. So I, I generally let people sort of like, I go very, very light to start with for the first couple of minutes of the round. Um, and then, and then it depends on how my ego is feeling during the first few minutes, to be honest. Um, if, if I feel like they think they're, they're getting the better of me because they're actually beating me, and like you said, you know, celebrating because I haven't actually tapped them, and they're like, oh, well, they should have tapped me by now and start celebrating, then, you know, if it's that situation, depends on how my ego's feeling, um, yeah, then I'll start obviously pushing quite hard and, you know, try and get at least you know, three or four taps in the last couple of minutes. But it, it all depends on, it depends on them, really. Uh, I always sort of gauge it on, on how they are and how they're reacting to, to me going very light to start with. And that goes with the boxing as well. You know, if I'm, if I'm going quite light and I'm sort of just like, you know, touching, sparring, moving positions and stuff like that, and then somebody starts throwing big overhand rights and trying to take my head off in the first couple of minutes, I'm like, okay, cool. I can bite down on my gum shield and we can go you at it, it, even though I'm more experienced. It's no problem. It's no problem. It's no problem to me. I love that kind of sparring. Nice so, yeah, I, I, I'm always... 
Yeah, I kind of I kind of gauge it on on each individual person rather than specific way of of spying with new people. What about yourself? Now, this is something I was sort of talking about in my last podcast in a bit more detail, but there's a thing I saw a minute ago by Jiu Jitsu we've had on the podcast as well. And it was, I think it's called The Ritual, which is one of his like, black belts, I think, one of the guys he trains with. And what it is, is essentially the first like, half of the round or whatever. Yep. You try and sub them as quickly as you can to really show them what your level is. But then the other half of the round, you sort of go play for, let them work, and the other. So you sort of get the best of both worlds. It's sort of, okay, okay, we know, we know what the score is, but now you know I'm trying to be compliant. Mm. And that sort of happy medium as such. So I'm going to stop maybe mm. in that bit more, a bit more. Okay, I'm not going to hurt them or put that pressure on too much. But a sense of, okay, so maybe snatch a guillotine, maybe get like a triangle with setting them straight away instead of like, okay, oh, I've got a fully extended arm bar. Oh no, you managed to roll out. Oh no, <laughs> that heel is still there. You still got yeah. to... <laughs> I think it's a bit more like, okay. Because even catch and release gets a bit like, okay, you're not really appreciating the fact they let that go and I haven't, you know, ripped off your knee at the end of the conversation. But yeah, regards of yeah. striking sparring, it's quite tricky sometimes. So MMA, like when I first started training, it was a lot of technical rounds, a lot of light sparring, this, that, and the other. Yeah. And so the idea of holding back almost sounded like a virtue, but really wasn't because I was much of a pussy. But then I started doing hard rounds. You sort of think, okay, now this is, I need to start doing more of this. And when I start moving to where I am now at BST, Initially started sparring there, but the pros is that never getting absolutely fucking filled in <laughs> with some of like the more experienced guys, and I needed that. And not all the rounds are always like that, but I needed the harder rounds. So now it's a case of I think rule of thumb is the head trying to go too crazy, but again stiff jabs, stiff crosses, not necessarily overhands like, but kicks are a tricky one. So like the legs and the body, I feel a fair game because if you throw body kicks half ass, you're just gonna get caught and taken down. Whether you're being polite or not, it's whatever. Head kicks is more of a slap. Yep. And again, it's all rule of thumb. I mean, takedowns, control, yep. submissions, ground and pounds like peppering. Again, it's a bit of a. I think the general rule of thumb is <laughs> give as hard as you get and sort of go from there and sort of gauge again. It's a tricky one, especially when it comes to beginners. Like, you don't want to fucking yep. live a shot because they're a bit nervous. <laughs> it's sort of. I don't know. It's a funny balance. All right, my friend. I will let you crack on. Remember, mm. before we go, social media, where can people find you, my friend? As always, um, Carsten Langeois on Instagram and Carsten M. Langeois on Facebook. And remember, guys, any questions, any topics you want us to cover, be sure to message me on Instagram at fisticuffs underscore podcast. I'll be sure to get back to you as soon as I can. Cool. Take care. Stay safe.